I lost all my identities when I came here. Mm-hmm. Even as a work, somebody who works for IBM, you build an identity even around that. Oh, I work for IBM. I mean, there's that. Or I'm coming from this intellectual family. Well, nobody yeah. knows family here or I went to the best schools that are available to me in Turkey and in Turkey if I say what which schools I have graduated from immediately like okay you're like a Harvard graduate right everybody knows what it takes you to get there so here you lose all of that hey this is Achim Novak executive coach and host of the my fourth act podcast if life is a five-act play How will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am just so happy to welcome Özlem Brook Errol to the My Fourth Act podcast. Özlem is a Turkish-American trailblazer who champions a more purposeful world, both in our individual life choices and in our places of work. Özlem worked at IBM for 11 years and held positions as VP of Sales and Marketing in several other companies. She left her native Istanbul at the age of 33 to come to the United States with her family. I think of Özlem as a happy corporate dropout. Uh, via her business, Your Best Life, Inc., Özlem has helped individuals to more deeply connect with their dreams and passions. She's also one of the co-authors of the wonderful book, From Hierarchy to High Performance, and committed to helping humanize our places of work. Welcome, Özlem. Thank you. Thanks for having me and for such a nice introduction. Thank you for being here with me. Yes. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for both of us being together in this moment. I just had a confession first. I was interested in what you do for so many reasons. But on a very personal note, I am a German man who spent part of his childhood in Turkey. And I know that you are from Turkey, from a city that I adore. Mm-hmm. And I hope we get to talk about that as well. Before we get into what, what you're doing now, which is really cool, when you were a young girl, Growing up in Istanbul, who did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Good question. I think I had, I didn't have one dream, but several. And I think it changed over time. One of them was definitely because I was reading a lot of books. I Mm -hmm. thought like, why don't I become a writer one day and write one of these books? So that was definitely one of them. That stayed with me until now, obviously. But then I, at some point, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher because mm-hmm. I love around, being around kids. Those are the two that I can remember vividly. I'm sure there were some others, but those two just came to me as soon as you asked that question. <laughs> and you have written what, one book of your own. You've contributed to another. So you have been a writer. You are a writer. And there may be many more books lurking in your mind. Who knows? <laughs> yes. And I actually contributed to four or five different books. Oh. like But the ones that I always say is, of course, the two that you already mentioned in the introduction. Right. But my first one was very early on, probably I was 18, when mm-hmm. a little piece that I wrote was like published at a Turkish book. So yeah. I was getting very excited about that at the time. Yeah, I remember that for sure. 
Yeah. So you definitely have a streak of a writer inside of you and it started early. Wonderful. That's my therapy, I think. And what's, what's therapeutic about it? I'm a writer too, so I fully understand, but what's therapeutic for you about writing? I think like I've been writing my, at least I have my diary since I was seven. It's just like sharing what happened to you, your feelings with the paper in front of you, I think gets it out of your system instead of staying up there in your mind. And I think just really, and then the second part of it is if I also share with it, share the, whatever I write, I think it's also the sharing piece that helps me heal too, because then you find one more person who feels the same way or agrees with you and say, oh, I'm human being. So there's the different levels of writing that helps me, I think. Nice. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that you left Istanbul at 33, but let's look at your life before then. In my mind, it's a beautiful city that I know well from my own childhood I believe you worked for IBM while you were in Turkey. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And I know when we hear a company like IBM, which is so iconic, I have a hunch that that there were some highlights, some wonderful things where you think, gosh, this is why I loved what I got to do at IBM. But there also may have been moments where you go, why the hell am I doing? And would you, let's talk about IBM first, and then let's talk about Istanbul as a city. But take us to the highs and the lows of that period in your life. Sure. If we start with work, of course, I was thrilled to be working for IBM. And, you know, at the time, at least, there were like three, four different interviews that you had to go through. And they were doing the stress test on you, which you'd be able to take that much stress at work and everything. So it was a whole different way of getting hired, I think. But Mm -hmm. at the end, just joining the company, an international well-known company, which was, I think, in the top hundred fortune magazine like companies was a great thing to achieve because wow. achievement is so big at the time for me and then to get to meet a lot of people around me I still have some of them friends for life we had an amazing group of people who worked with me and our company our offices was so nice and beautiful we had the best cafeteria in town so, <laughs> And then, of course, I think the most important part of it was really they were investing so much in us. Mm -hmm. I was learning so much that I'm still using to this day with our soft skills, like lots of different things that makes us a better person besides making a good employee. I think I owe them a lot about what I have learned when I was working there. Yeah. But what you just said is such a beautiful testimonial to workplaces that invest in the people that work there. And I know this from my life. When somebody invests in me, I commit to you. I feel valued. I do better work. You'd said that so beautifully. Was there any dark side at all? Anything, any frustrations, challenges, where, or days where you maybe were tearing your hair out? <laughs> you know what? Like it made me think I always had that dream. At some point while I was working there, I came to a place where I wasn't so happy, obviously. That's why I quit my job on my own too. But there was this dream like, what if I leave everything on my desk? 
untouched and disappear and never come back. So that's <laughs> not a good dream for the managers and supervisors, but that was one for me. I think uh, I didn't, in hindsight, I know what was bothering me. I think it was a conflict of values, which is so true for so many people mm. now that I work with clients of my own. It's always some conflicting values, like it was always short term, like goals that the company had. And I had amazing relationships that I built with my customers. And I treasure that. I love that because I'm such a people person. I mm-hmm. think the best part of my work was to build those relationships with my clients. But then when I was forced to sell them more, which mm-hmm. was like products that are in the million dollar zone at the time, I was like so not happy with being pushed to sell more when I believed they didn't need that. And it was only short-term goals of the company or the shareholder value. And those things were very, very difficult on my emotional state of being. So those things did not work for me at all, for sure. Since you mentioned that you left on your own, what pushed you over the edge? Like what happened where Özlem went, I'm out of here? Yeah. So first of all, I think after five, six years of working there, I did start the purpose question, which was not commonplace at all. But I don't know where it came from. I don't know what triggered me. But I really specifically remember the day even that I asked myself, what's my purpose of working here? Not only doing my daily tasks, my customers, my proposal, preparing those and everything. I said like, Who am I contributing to by working here? And since if you said it out loud, nobody had an answer to that, let alone thinking that it's a good question to ask yourself, they could shut you down immediately. I had to do the answering of that question on my own. Mm -hmm. And that made a difference for me because I found out that what I'm doing every single day was to help my clients help their own clients serve them in a much better way because of the technology I was able to offer them. Just to say that made me feel better about what I do because it's not only daily repetitive mundane tasks, but, oh, I'm serving something in my own country because of this international company that I'm working for. But the next question, of course, that followed at the time, people work for the same company for their whole lifetime. I said, like, does this going to satisfy me as a person, as Özlem? Because is that something that's fulfilling to me? No, the answer was no. And that's when I said, okay, obviously, this is not the right thing for me. But did I know what was right for me? Not at all. (laughs) But I felt like I'm getting physically sick too, by the the way. So that was, of course, a big red flag for me. All the value conflicting things that I was doing and also not feeling like so purposeful and aligned with what I'm doing, like really pushed me through the edge in your terms. Yeah. I'm really curious because you described it beautifully. You were in, in Turkey. It almost probably felt like a privilege to work for these big American company. It's a prestigious company. Like you're so, in quotation marks, fortunate to work there. How did people react when you quit your job? People in your circles, what do they say? No, no, there were very, very few people who could understand it, first of all, because, you know, everybody, when they ask why you left, 
everybody wants to have some analytical, amazing, left brain, like satisfying answers. And I did not have any of those except what I shared with you. I wasn't aligned with what I was doing. I wasn't aligned with the values. I wasn't aligned with the short-term gain of helping Mm -hmm. shareholders be happy. So a lot of people could not be supportive because they really didn't understand what I was trying to do. And the second thing is I didn't have anything lined up after that. So that was surprising. And the third thing, I wasn't wealthy to be on my own for years to come with a lot of savings. So Mm -hmm. it was very shocking and surprising, especially, I think, of course, the family. My mom still did not get over it. So she still asked me, <laughs> why did you leave IBM? Although she knew I was getting sick and I wasn't happy. Yeah. So, I mean, at the time, right now, there's so many people who are quitting their corporate jobs. It's just a normal thing. But at yeah. the time, it was not normal. So I did kind of feel like I'm the black sheep or something. I did yeah. feel strange or weird or odd in some ways. Yeah. I'm really curious because many people fantasize about, especially when people get older, to, oh, let me go to another country and start a new life and do something different. You know, a lot of Americans dream about retiring in Costa Rica and these sexy and expensive places. You, at the age of 33, you and your family left Istanbul, which is a glorious city that I happen to know well, to come to a very different country, very different kind of life. What prompted you all to make that move? A lot of different things, but I think the main and the major one was to, like many immigrants in the whole world do it for the same reason from what I see, is to give a better life for their children, at least with the hope of giving them a better life. Because what we were seeing in Turkey, back in Turkey, just like what I told you about on my work life, Mm -hmm. if I'm not aligned with my values, I'm in trouble. I don't feel good. I get sick. The same thing applied to when we had our son. We felt like we couldn't teach him the same values we were raised with because he would not survive or he wouldn't be happy in Turkey. So, and then since we were like traveling people, we have seen Europe and United States so many times, we felt like we could give him a better life. So that was number one for us, for both my husband and I. And I think we did have some adventurous part in us to try different lives and see what it works and we had no idea how long we were going to stay but we wanted to try this thing on and we got the green card lottery but of course we were the ones to apply for it right we had an intention to move out of the country and it could have been europe because we looked at europe as well but also to united states and i always felt comfortable coming here for one reason or another before we even moved here, when I came to United States, every time I came here, I felt like, oh, this feels so familiar. Maybe because I went to American schools back in Turkey, too. I mm-hmm. was like raised by my parents, but also raised by American teachers. I read so many American books in my library because I'm a, such a big reader, too. Mm-hmm. And then I go, went to an American college and had all my classes in English then I joined the American company. So I think there's definitely something in there that got embedded in me that I mm-hmm. felt familiar with the American culture 
And the very last one, but also very important to me was I had a experience when I was 20 to uh, go to a youth camp in Italy. Mm-hmm. And I loved, loved, loved being around like people from 60 different countries. Mm-hmm. I said, oh my God, we are so the same. Why is this political world doesn't look like that? And look at mm-hmm. these people. I love them all. And I wanted to live in a place where I could definitely be in a much more diverse environment than my country was able to provide. So all it's a blend of all of that that brought us here, really. As somebody like you, I'm an immigrant to the United States. I came here when I was 16 and I was in Turkey before then. The experience of changing countries is very familiar to me. And especially since you went as a mature adult. And I want to invite you to tell this story for everybody who's listening, who's thinking of switching cultures or making a move. Usually we gain some wonderful things, but we also lose some things. Uh, what are some things you lost by leaving Istanbul? And what are some things you gained by coming to the United States? So some of my losses, of course, like being in touch and being together with my family. And usually Mediterranean countries in general are very close to their family. Yeah. So again, I was the first one to leave the country to come to a whole the totally different part of the world. So that is definitely a loss. And it's a loss for my son too, because I grew up with my grandparents. Getting their love on top of your parents' love is, mm-hmm. I think, a beautiful thing to experience. So yeah, I was losing that. And also like losing, I wouldn't say losing because I did not lose my most wonderful friends and they're all spread out around the world right now. I never lost them, but I was scared of losing them because my friendships are very, very important to me. And uh, we have a wonderful culture in some ways. Like we're so much person, and you have experienced that, like we're so personable. We have much smaller personal spaces in a good way. Mm -hmm. And like people are such more like, not so individualist, but like more like, they love being together. We love big groups. I even had to, gave a talk years ago in Turkey in, um, in future work. And I said, never, ever, please lose that wonderful small yeah. talk you have every time you meet a customer. When I met a customer in the United States, they immediately went to business. They did not offer <laughs> me Turkish tea or any kind of tea or coffee. <laughs> and they went straight to business. And I love that part of our culture, which is going to build relationship first yeah. or we have the business talk. So all of that is what you lose, of course. But I think I lost less than I was scared of losing it, like especially my relationships because I'm a big relationship people person, like I said before. So if you're really careful and if you're really adamant about that, you don't lose them. But of course, you don't get to see them as much as you want to in person. Yeah. So that's the parts that you lose. But the parts that I gained, I think the most important is like, I lost all my identities when I came here. Mm-hmm. Even as a work, somebody who works for IBM, you build an identity even around that. Oh, I work for IBM now. I mean, there's that. Or I'm coming from this intellectual family. Well, nobody yeah. knows about your family here. Or I went to the best schools that are available to me in Turkey. And in Turkey, if I say what which schools I have graduated from, immediately, like, okay, yeah. 
you're like a Harvard graduate, right? Everybody knows what it takes you to get there. So here you lose all of that. Besides that, you also lose all your financial security too, mm-hmm. because here they start like, you know, very well. Okay, what's your credit score? You have zero credit score. <laughs> well, I've been using Visa American Express for years. They say, nope, that was international way. So you have to start from scratch. So that's very, very hard at the beginning. But at the same time, that's the start to your inner journey. At least that's what happened to me. I said, okay, who am I without all of these identities that I built around myself? Who is Özlem Brook Erol without any of that? So that started a big, long inner journey for me, which got me today to today. So that's very precious. But as everything else, it's painful at the beginning because you really feel like, okay, I'm really like nobody here starting from scratch at 33. Yeah, that's not easy at the beginning. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. What are some things you discovered in your journey, Aslim? Yeah, so much, of course. It's like the onion, like the peel, and it's still going on, of course. First of all, that you didn't need to have the titles. My definition of success has nothing to do with how much money I make, which company I'm working for. That's why I was able to quit and start a whole life, obviously. But one part of me had the voice of my parents or my society telling me what success looks like. But then I had to get rid of them and feel like, okay, we are worthy and we have Uh, We deserve everything good just because we're born and it's our birthright and it doesn't have to come with zillion different kinds of achievements, but that's the way I was raised, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like you find your inner self, your essence of who you really are without any of the external stuff. So you get to know more about you really yourself. And I'm still in that process, I'm sure. But it feels better because now if I were to lose anything like I did when I came here, it's not going to take anything away from me. I'm still the same person. Yeah. I know a little bit of your story. So I know you told Dr. So beautifully about why you had to leave IBM. And you got some good jobs when you came to this country. But at some point, And if I say this wrong, correct me, you basically said, screw corporate life and I'm going to do my own thing. (laughs) You said no to IBM and then you said no to all the other stuff you did here. And in a way, you lived a fantasy that a lot of people have is let me start my own business. But that can be scary in a whole other way. Talk about your best life, Inc. and starting that and what your journey was that got you to say, you know, I'm going to do my own business And it's about purpose. Just could you talk about that? 
Sure, sure. And yeah, I think every job that I tried and every culture that I experienced felt like there's something wrong in here. Why do we only have to work for weekends? Why am I going to go to work only for paycheck? That did not ring well with me at all in any part of my life. So I always wanted to have this culture where I can be myself. I don't want to wear a man's hat, what they told me before, or I don't want to leave part of myself at the door as I went into the office space. And I did have that experience, actually, in one of my jobs where I worked for seven years, I was completely myself. They were the most ego-less people. I mean, they didn't act with their egos. My boss allowed me to be who I am. He was able to accept like different ideas just right there as I speak to him. So having experienced some work cultures where you didn't have a voice or you couldn't be yourself and you couldn't be aligned with who you are versus this culture made me think twice. I said, okay, this is obviously possible. Mm-hmm. And think, and I also experienced how much more willing I am to work for that company and how yeah. I gave my heart and soul to them. I'm not kidding. I was like, because they saw me as a human being before anything else, I was so much more loyal to them, like never before. So just having those different experiences in different places made me think, okay, this is possible. I always knew in my heart of my heart, it is possible, but I got to even experience it. Look, and I loved my Mondays, not only my Fridays. And I was excited about the work I do. They were willing to listen to all my ideas. And it doesn't mean we did go with every idea I had, but like even to be listened to and not killing your ideas was a big deal for me. So that's when I said, okay, first of all, I found my purpose by then which made me very excited because what people don't still know about purpose is like it taps into a very different kind of energy you have in yourself, yeah. which you don't even know that exists. Before, yes. right? So having that extra energy, all of a sudden I was like, yes, I can do it. Yes, I can be an entrepreneur. So of course, at the very beginning, like they have this graph for an entrepreneur. So you have this big high, right? At first, oh, I can do everything in this world. So I had that, of course. But I know, yeah, of course, you don't know what else is waiting for you. But the beginning was very, very exciting, of course. And your best life really came from uh, getting coaching on what my purpose is, what my gifts are, my talents are. And it spoke so much to my heart and it just created so much extra energy in me. I said, I want to do the same for other people who are looking for meaning at work. Because I had that experience, obviously, so many other people are looking for meaning, not only a paycheck. Let me do that. That's where your best life came from. So if I hear you correctly, was your purpose at that time to help other people find their purpose. So your purpose was to be a helper in the purpose playground for others. For sure. And it's what's mostly tailored to work, to find purposeful work, not only purpose in life, which always comes up, of course, when you do coaching, but I want them to really love their jobs, fulfilled at job. And that only comes to me. I feel like it's only when they find meaning in what they do. Yeah. But what you spoke about so beautifully when you talk about IBM, you describe how you found your own purpose when it wasn't immediately apparent around you. Is this something you help other people to do? First question. Second question, 
Is it always possible to find our purpose in situations or might it sometimes become too hard? Yeah, it's definitely not an easy task because you have to have this inner journey. Without the inner journey, there's no way you're finding it. I shouldn't say no way. Sometimes life finds your, makes you find your purpose. Like I had a friend, for example, she had a tough time with her second child and she had some like illnesses that's not going to go away. So that brought her a lot of purpose to help other people with the same illness, right? Sometimes life finds you with your purpose. But if you are trying to discover it yourself, then you really have to spend a lot of time to figure out who you really are and what is what keeps you in the flow, what makes you feel more energized. So some people are not willing to do that work at all. So that's why it's hard. But I always, if they already have work, they already have a job, I always want them to start with the existing job, just like what I did at IBM. Let's find your purpose in what you do right now, because it doesn't have to make the headlines. It doesn't have to be huge, right? I have worked with like janitors in an or like in a school where they feel like I find so much purpose because I keep yeah. this place safe and hygienic so that the children don't get sick, right? So when people think about purpose, sometimes they have this overwhelming, huge, big thing that yeah. needs to happen, and it's not that at all. So. I think I started helping people with like, it's the existing job. Is this a new career? Is this starting your own business? Or if you're not even working, maybe it's the volunteer work that you're going to do, which is going to be so aligned with who you are. So there's many different choices to come to that. I really appreciated the phrase that you said earlier, which is sometimes life comes to you. That's so beautiful. And the other thought I had, and if we can expound on that, I would argue that life is always coming to us, but we often don't notice, right? Can you talk about the noticing part of what's already there? So true. I think the way we are mostly like raised, like I'm raised the same way. I mean, just the same formula, good grades, good school, good job. And then you don't, nobody talks about the details. And because our definition of success is so much related to our achievements, our titles, or which company we work for, promotions, we're not even paying attention to what the life is throwing at us. Like you said, if we pay more attention and more self-aware, and pay attention to what's happening to us through our life, then we can be even like understanding what we need to do with what we came here for, right? But just like the self-awareness and being very like insightful and observing what's coming to us is very important. But I think it's not being reactive, but also being proactive too. Because there's certain questions. I mean, what does a coach do or what do I do as a coach? There's those certain questions we ask and we never tell anybody what to do. They already have the answers. It's just that they don't do the reflection time. They don't spend the me time to observe what's already there. Yeah. We've spoken so far a lot about what I call individual awareness and individual finding a purpose and the choices we make. But you also play in what I call a bigger playground, which is the future of work playground. I'm going to drop a name right now because this is a fellow we both know and adore, Dr. Kirkpatrick, mm-hmm. who uh, 
a lawyer by training, but some of the people in this space are very radical thinkers. They, their thinking goes beyond find your own purpose. It's about changing the whole workplace and how humans are valued. And, and you, I know you're drawn to that space, to the, the big playground of the future work. What draws you to that, Erslim? Yeah. Thank you. That's a great question. And it really started with my first business and seeing hundreds of people as my clients. I saw so many of them are so unhappy, so unhealthy, and so miserable at work. And then when you see so many of them, and also, of course, I'm a big reader, I read the research and everything, that blew my mind away at some point. I said like, okay, one-to-one work is great, but let's me go to the organizational space again, see what are they doing to make all these people so miserable. And they're very talented, capable, wonderful people, right? Yes. And I see all that potential is going to waste, which is what we're doing, unfortunately, yeah, we yeah. throughout the world, by the way. So that triggered me to say, okay, this is great, but let me go back to the organizational space and let me talk to the leaders so that if they do understand the damage that they're doing and how much better they can do in the workplace, then we'll have a much bigger impact. So my word was impact. Okay, I'm having this one-to-one conversation, which is great because everyone who's transformed and sees their potential and lives it is going to also have a huge impact on people around them. But if we're talking about leaders of organization, they're going to impact the thousands of people who work for them, but also their families. Because all those wonderful companies that I'm following and working with, it's not only the people who are fulfilled at work, but those people go to back home at night and they're happy there. Their children look up to them and say, oh, work could be a happy place. And that's what they're going to look for, right? So that's why I was so pushed into creating my second business, which has a whole different target market, purposeful business, because we have to work like change what organizations are doing. And that's why I love Doug's work because I've known him for probably six years now. And I know he wants people to get their brains back. We don't, we make decisions (laughs) every day, right? We make decisions every day on so many stuff. Why can't we make it at work? Especially if we're hired for our experience, for who we are, and then for our talent and our potential, and all of a sudden we have to be micromanaged and told what to do. That never worked for me in the workplace anyways. So, of course, self-management, being more human-centered, having meaning at work, and everybody at work knowing that the company stands for something more than making money, more than only growth. And especially looking at our world right now, we have so many crazy problems. Why can't business be have a better impact on all these problems if we are more conscious, Right. So that's why I'm, I have been always progressive and radical in my thinking. That's why I was the black sheep and the odd and the weird one. But now we came to a time where at least we're talking and having more conversations around it. And we have to. I feel like the work as we know it is not sustainable yeah. at all. It is not going to be sustainable. Yeah. I know it. I mean, I believe it 150% in my heart. 
one of my many favorite sayings of Doug's is, hierarchy is dead, it just doesn't know it yet, <laughs> you know, which is what you're talking about as well. I want to take the conversation to you and where you are in your life right now. I hope it's okay to say that you are a woman in your 50s. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of spaces where you can play, you can make choices where you go. And the question that always interests me at any given point in life is, what would you like to do more of and what would you like to do less of as you chart your own path forward? Thank you. Yeah, that's a good question. I think we all should be asking that pretty frequently, I guess. And I try to do it every end of the year, do a reflection on the whole year. What worked? What did not work for me this year? So I would say definitely do more of the work that I so believe in, have more impact in organizations, especially Mm -hmm. because look, look at what's happening after COVID. This was a great opening for everyone to have a better and open mindset because There's nothing new. It's just like what was broken is even more revealed right now. So if we can have an open mind as leaders, there's a great opening for transformation, for like betterment in the world. So I want to do more of that work for sure. That's why I'm working with more teams instead of being on my own, because as a team, you can do so much more in this world with people who are like-minded and heart like uh, with the same intentions. So that's what I want to do more of. I don't want to spend time with things that do not matter to me so much. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to do less of and focus on this more than anything else, because I have 150 different ideas usually on a given day, which is sometimes making me like, okay, not focus so much. So I want to do less of like spreading myself thin over different projects, but being more Mm -hmm. like intentional about what I'm spending my energy with. You made this beautiful reference just a couple of minutes ago about, you know, having creating workplaces where somebody comes home from work and the children look up to her or him and go, oh, mom and dad are actually happy and they had a good day at work instead of this stressed out, defeated kind of person. And if I put some language around it is and relate this to you is how do you in your own life? You have a spouse, you have a son, you're a creative thinker, you're a writer, you're a doer, you're a manifester. How do you juggle all of this in your own life so you bring energy back to your family and energize them? First of all, for me, it's always the family came first, always. So Mm -hmm. all our decisions, like the one, even the one you asked coming to United States was like, my son and my family comes first. So it, that's why I had a very hard time in my first job because it wasn't like expressed that way at all. Everyone would say family comes first, but everybody wanted you to put work first, which did not work for me. So if I had somebody sick at home, I wanted to go to them, but I was felt guilty. I was made feel guilty if I went home. So to, so in my life, it's going to be always my family and my closest friends coming first. If they need me, that's my priority for sure. 
And then if everything is going well, and thank God everybody's healthy, then my work is my life. I don't have separation between the two. That's why I'm working at night, at weekends, but it doesn't feel like work. Um, So I'm just like having a kind of a schedule in front of me every day of the things that I want to do. I always want to walk my dog twice a day. I'm going to have some workout time. I'm going to have some time to write. I have some time to meditate and then the rest is my work. But what I learned over the years is not to have 20 to do lists, but to have three items on my list Mm -hmm. and then make it to the fourth or fifth if I have time because I overwhelmed myself so much in the past with, like I said, because I have too many ideas, I would put all of them in front of me every day, which was like, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. So I learned that I can only do so much so start with three, and if then if you have time, do the fourth and fifth, and pay attention to where I'm spending my energy and yeah. the people, the people around me. I'm a, such a big people person. I could have hundred people to talk to, but now I'm being more selective because I have so much time, and I want to be like more mindful of that too. I appreciate your frequent mentions of the word energy and being mindful of our own energy, what energizes us and and energy is the essence of life, I think. And it's, I appreciate you mentioning it so much. Here's a question I ask every guest in a different way, but since you sort of labeled yourself as the black sheep in some places, but I'm going to label you as the successful black sheep (laughs) who is uh, deeply involved in purpose and creating what she wants to do. But based on what you have learned and coming from a background where, as you said, it's about the right school, the right education, the right this, right, whatever. If you could whisper some advice to young Uslim, not to change your life, what happened, but just share some wisdom that you've learned, what would you want to say to her? Well, definitely listen to your gut even more. I always like, I never only listen to my mind, always to my heart and my gut, but I would even tell the little Islam to even believe in herself more because I felt like I was so ahead of my time in some of my thinking that it always felt a little bit weird and I did hold back some of it. If I were to go back to her, I said, don't hold back anything. Just shout out what you believe in <laughs> because it's telling you the right thing. And don't ever be shy. Don't ever like, yeah, just be bold and say whatever is in your heart in the boldest way possible. That's probably what I would say to her for sure. And the words you just uttered, I think might be really good advice for I would say other fourth actors who are listening to us who want to try something new or want to go on a new adventure because maybe their purpose is speaking to them. And I think what you're saying, just listen and go for it, right? Yes. And whatever age you are too, I don't have, that's a very limiting belief that a lot of people have, especially in my culture. After 30, you don't do that. After 40, you don't do that. I mean, it goes on forever. And I am so against that kind of thinking, except when you have disabilities and things that you you cannot do. Of course, I understand, but the rest is really the, all the limits are in our mind. So yeah. Fourth act, we can still do so many crazy and wonderful things. I believe that. <laughs> I celebrate those two adjectives, crazy and wonderful. Thank you, Aslam. <laughs> That's a beautiful note to go out on. Before we leave, I'm sure there will be listeners who say, I want to find out more about what Aslam does. And 
if you had to direct them to public places, websites, social media, where will people find you? I'm almost in every social media, but I think the easiest place would be to find me at LinkedIn. And I'm pretty active there. I write there. I post there. And then I have a YouTube channel, Purposeful Life channel, which is, I'm sure I have a link on my LinkedIn site too. So LinkedIn is a good place to start. And of course, anybody who wants to connect, I would love that. I love getting other people's ideas and also getting them engaged and understand their work and their questions. So I would love to meet anybody who's interested. But thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, of course, to have me on and have this very different conversation than my other podcast. So it's so (laughs) much more personal and my life and everything. So thank you for doing that, not only with me, but other people, because hopefully some people get inspired by that. I appreciate that you went personal with me. And may our conversations continue. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you again for your time too. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.